What's up, everybody? This is the Pearsall Bros Podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm with my brother, Pat. The conference semifinals are all but taken care of. We will officially have a new NBA champion. No repeat season for Golden State as LeBron and AD knock out Steph and the Warriors. Denver takes care of business versus Phoenix. Miami handles New York, and we think they might be the toughest team in the whole NBA. And Philly versus Boston, it's really anybody's guess. We discuss how unpredictable that series has been and what's going to happen in Game 7. Hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, we've reached the end of almost all of the series in the semifinals, the second round, whatever you want to call it. And so we're going to do a, a little bit of recap of kind of what happened in these four series, but also look ahead to what we expect to happen in the conference finals. So uh, we'll start in the East again with New York and Miami. And before the series started, we were really excited about what we thought was going to happen. It looked like two even teams that were hot. While a lot of people were kind of picking Cleveland to beat New York, and certainly everybody thought Milwaukee was just going to handle Miami. Both of those things don't happen, so both teams look really hot coming into the second round. And you thought, okay, it's going to be competitive the whole time. And that doesn't turn out really to be the case. Well, certainly the playoffs this year have not gone chalk, as they say. All all the rankings seem to have meant nothing this year going into it. <laughs> the the most impressive, of course, being the number eight Miami Heat beating the number one Milwaukee Bucks, and then it takes us to this next series: New York versus Miami, the number five New York Knicks and the number eight Miami Heat. And what do you know? Miami ends up winning the series 4-2. Yeah, it, and it looked like Miami should have been the five seed over New York. At and, least. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, Miami kind of handled them. Like, there were moments when New York played well, but, I mean, when you look back at some of the games, game three, it just, Miami was in control the entire time, and their stars didn't, they don't have, like, any big, huge games. Butler had 28 in that game. Adebayo had 17 points and 12 rebounds. Jalen Brunson, I think, had his low total for that series in that game. He only had 20 points. And then their other three uh, big players for New York, Randall, Barrett, and Josh Hart, just not good enough. You get to game four. Miami basically has it in control the whole time. I just don't think... New York just wasn't as competitive as we as we thought they'd be. And so it kind of was a just a lackluster series. Even though New York wins game five and you know they did what they needed to do. They backed up home court um, to get to force it to a game six. And the really cool thing about game five was Jalen Brunson. He plays all 48 minutes, which nobody does anymore, essentially. And you shouldn't necessarily have to play a player like all 48 minutes. Like you couldn't get him a minute of rest in the first and a minute of rest in the second. Like seems weird. But it, but when you look back at the game, you think maybe they did have to play him all 48 points. But R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle started to come on a little bit and uh, played a little bit better in game four, a little bit better in game five. Um, and so there was hope for New York in game six. Well, there was hope. Um, you know, going into Game Five, they were down three-one. They went back to New York, so I don't think you know they have to win that game. No one's necessarily surprised that they do win that game. Yeah. Jimmy Butler did not have his strongest game in Game Five, but then they go back down to South Beach for Game Six. And although Jalen Brunson had forty-one points, right. I mean that's a that's a good game. The Heat just couldn't that couldn't be denied, right? Um, the, it was, it was a close game down the stretch, but the Knicks just kind of couldn't handle it. 
like I mentioned, R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle, the second and third best players, whatever order you want to put them in through games, you know, two, three, four, and five in the series. Uh, R.J. Barrett goes one of 10 shooting and Randall goes three of 14, just not going to get it done. And even though Miami, again, like nobody had some sort of magic, Butler scored 24 at a bio at 23. So nobody had this monster game like Jalen Brunson did with 41 points. Miami just plays so well and they play such cohesive basketball that you have to be on for all 48 minutes if you're going to play them. Like there have been times when New York got ahead and would start to, you know, sort of pose their will a little bit, it seemed. But Miami just, they never, ever looked scared, never, ever looked like, okay, even when New York won game five, you know, Miami didn't look worried at all. And it makes me bullish on the eight seed Miami Heat going forward. I'm very bullish on the eight seed Miami Heat going forward. I completely agree with you. Um, we'll talk about the uh, number three Philadelphia 76ers and the number two Boston Celtics series. Um, full disclosure, we are recording this on Saturday, May 13th, and game seven of that Philly Boston series is tomorrow. They are currently tied 3 3. But um, just to get out ahead of this, like we were saying, I don't know if it matters who's going to win because I think the Miami Heat are going to beat either the Philadelphia Sixers or the Boston Celtics. Yeah, their confidence has to be through the roof after beating number one seed Milwaukee and everybody's favorite to not just get out of the East but win the championship and everybody's um, what believes as top three player in the league in Giannis. Um, they handle them and then they handle a what seemed to be a tough, feisty, gritty New York team. And when we look at the Philly and Boston series, both teams have really been inconsistent. We were talking about this beforehand when you thought, we talked about it on the last pod, but you thought Boston was going to handle game one because there's no Embiid and Philly wins. And then game three happens and you think, oh, they present Embiid the trophy and uh, Philly's going to take control. They've got all this momentum. They're in Philadelphia. Boston wins the game. The series has kind of gone back and forth, back and forth. And yeah, I think Miami, which seems crazy as we, uh, when I look back, like Miami barely got out of the playing games, but I don't. And you look at the guys who are contributing, like Max Strauss and Caleb Martin. And I mean, Cal, Kyle Lowry is a known player, but he's certainly passed his prime. You think like, okay, any one of those guys, uh, Gabe Vincent, their point guard, like any one of those guys sure can go off because any NBA player is good enough to have like a, a big night on any given night. But by the same token, those players in particular, they could have off nights. Well, they certainly could have off nights and you can't necessarily count on them to have a 35 point game when you right. really need it. But back to the back to the Philly Boston series, most of the wins have come on the road. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And I mean, game four. Philly won game four in overtime at home. They needed overtime. They needed a heroic game by Harden. He gets 42 in that game. Embiid gets 34 and 13. Really competitive game. Boston fans were going nuts because they should have had it um, in regulation. Uh, They were up with five minutes left and doesn't happen. Or excuse me, they were up by five with two minutes left. And Philly comes back. And so kudos to Philly to get in that. And so that so that happens in game four to get the series tied. Game five, um, Philly takes control. Embiid gets 33. Maxi gets 30. Tatum has a good night, but 
Boston goes ahead early, and then Philly just sort of wants it more, I guess. I mean, you don't want to say that Boston wasn't trying, but they felt like they wanted it more, and then game six happens, and you think what had to have happened was like the pressure of Philadelphia, the whole city on top of their shoulders being like, okay, it's in home, it's in Philly, let's close out the series, we don't want to go back to a game seven for Boston, and Philly... They can't get it done, even though the best player for Boston starts the game 0 for 13 and doesn't make his first shot until the last like minute in the third quarter. Oh, uh, Jason Tatum only had three points through three quarters. Yeah. Unbelievable. And so you think you're watching it. And even though, so Philly should have been up more of that because so Marcus Smart played uh, a pretty good game in game six. And they get sort of a collective support from all the other pieces to keep them in the game because Philly only has a two-point lead going in the fourth quarter. But Philly only scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum had 16 points. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had it. The Philadelphia had the chance. So looking forward to a Game 7. Does Philly, like, are they, do you think they're just, how are they feeling walking into a Game 7? You'd like to think that they feel confident. I mean, on some level, at, at the same time, too, obviously they have to win. Both of these teams have to win if they want to keep going. I mean, it's right, game seven. It's a must win. It, I, think it, you can, it, I think we can label it as that. It definitely is a must win game for both of these teams. You know, it's hard to tell because, like we said, now Philly's on the road, and the road team has won more games in this series. You can't, even in a thing like that, I can't assume that you would think that it's worse to be at home. Right. You would rather, always rather be at home. Yeah. So I don't think that, you know, I don't know. I mean, both these teams, I think they want it's, it can, it's going to come down to can the Celtics be disciplined enough to win the game? Will the right pieces show up for Philadelphia in yeah. the right way. If James Harden has a good game, Philly is really hard to beat. But if he good shows call. up and goes three for 18, which he can do, yeah, then they probably won't win. You're right, yeah. And that's been sort of the interesting thing. You have no idea what you're going to get. Like after every game, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Harden will throw up game one. He scores 45 or whatever he had in the mid-40s. And then games two and three, he lays an egg. And then he scores 42 in game four. And, you know, he had uh, he didn't score as much um, the last, uh, let's see, uh, game five when they won, but he was efficient. And so, yeah, I think to Pat's point, if Embiid's played pretty good, but he hasn't had like that monster MVP-ish game that you would, that like Jokic has had. Or that even um, Jim, that Jimmy Butler's had, or even Jalen Brunson had a few big games like that. Um, even Devin Booker for the Suns, like for M- Embiid, he's had a quiet playoffs for the MVP uh, winner. So I think, honestly, I'm gonna say Philly's going to win, but I'm not going to bet a dollar on that. <laughs> I. Uh... I think I, I agree with you in my gut. I think Philadelphia is going to win, although I wouldn't be surprised at all if Boston came out, played really well, and won the game. But like we were talking about earlier, and then either of these teams probably is going to lose to Miami. Yeah. And so there you go. Because of that inconsistency, because of that, like you just have no idea what you're going to get. And I would imagine being on both of those teams, Boston or Philly, like they know just as well that they've been inconsistent. 
you've got a plan going into the game like okay these are what these are the things that worked in the last game so let's build on those strengths and let's correct these weaknesses and it seems to flip-flop every single game and maybe that is partially due to the teams being so even it is the two and three seed versus each other so no one was surprised to see this go game seven it's just how that happened um but still uh jimmy butler and his white hot band of brothers down there in miami they're more consistent you can trust them more you have more confidence in them even though it's a bunch of no-name guys i agree like i i I think miami's feeling really good especially with a couple days extra rest jimmy butler playoff mvp no doubt no doubt all right that wraps up the east we're gonna take a break and move on to the west take a look at the western conference now starting with the number one denver nuggets and the number four phoenix suns now this series is over denver won four to two not to anybody's surprise really they are the number one seed however all of the basketball analytic people the talking heads everybody thought well certainly phoenix after the trade deadline they made all those moves the number one move of course being acquiring kevin durant from the brooklyn nets Boy, don't they have a really good chance to win the whole thing, let alone, of course, this series. And the series started out 2-0. The Nuggets looked really strong. And um, and then in Game 3, Phoenix came back and started to look great. Devin Booker had 47 points. KD had 39 points. The two of those guys playing well. Phoenix is incredibly hard to beat. I mean, Jokic had a triple-double. He had 30-17-17. and 17. That's phenomenal. Um, but when KD and, and Devin Booker, they combined for 86 points, that was 71% of the team's points. That's fantastic. We move on to Game 4. Phoenix takes it again despite Jokic scoring 53 points. And trying to tackle the Suns' owner in the middle of it—that's a whole other—that's a whole other non-basketball-related thing. But again, Booker had 36, KD had 36. The game was close down the stretch, but Phoenix was able to take it. Yeah, KD and Booker finally have those games where, like we said before the series, they're going to score 60 to 70 points. Phoenix is going to be tough to beat, and that's exactly what happened in Game Three and Four. No matter, uh, even though Jokic had his 53-point monster game, elbowing the Suns' owner in the midst and everything else, but it so it swan. Denver felt in complete control. Swings to Phoenix. You think, okay, if Durant and Booker play like Durant and Booker, why not? And then it goes to Game Five, and it's just basically a repeat of Games One and Two. They handle Phoenix. I mean, it was it was competitive through the first half, but. Um, there just wasn't anything that necessarily stood out to me other than that as I was watching this game, and Pat mentioned that all of the basketball experts, including the two of us on the Pearsall Bros podcast, said, yeah, Phoenix is going to handle them. They have the stars. They're going to win. Jokic, to me, is proving that he is the best player right now in May. In late April and May, I think Nikola Jokic is the best player left on planet Earth. 
He seems to be. I mean, he's not the most exciting basketball yeah. player to watch. He's maybe the least exciting <laughs> basketball player to watch. But he, you can't deny 53 points. I mean, we take it to game six, same thing. Nuggets just smoke Phoenix. Yeah. In Phoenix, they win by 25 points. Jokic has a triple-double. He's the third player ever to average a 30-point triple-double in a playoff series along with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. He is amazing. They're in Game 6, they were up 44-26 to 26 after the first quarter. Yeah, and before it got there, it was 27-26 to 26 Denver. So it was tight. And then all of a sudden, and I think this gets overlooked a little bit, Yes, of, of course, the Denver just didn't miss any shots, which sometimes happens in basketball. Like, basketball's a streaky sport. You could Devin Booker did the same thing in Game 3 and 4 combined. He, he shot like 75% between both of those games. Denver didn't miss any shots, but they also played unbelievable defense and made they learned from Games 3 and 4, and they're like, all we got to do is stop Durant and Booker and we can handle these guys, and it's exactly what happens. That, there was no DeAndre Ayton either, so Jokic yeah. just left alone in the middle. He was getting a ton of rebounds and was not as contested as he normally would have been. He never misses those, like, just little, like, they're not they're not like the classic layup that you would, you know, approach the basket and just bounce it off the, the backboard. He gets, like, these little three or four footers, you know, just a little flick of the wrist. They go in eight out of ten times, and it's unblockable because he's so big, and he can like speed up from the free throw line to there, but then slow down enough and just routine shot, routine shot. It's it is sort of uh, beautiful to watch, but at the same time, not exciting at all. <laughs> not exciting. I mean, he does have eleven playoff triple doubles, which is the most for a center in of all time. Yeah, I mean, so De- so Denver has. So I guess there's two different ways to talk about it. Let, let, let's put a nail in the coffin of the Phoenix Suns story this year. Basically traded too much away to get Kevin Durant. And while Durant and Booker are great and still are great, and I don't necessarily put this loss on them, uh, they just didn't have enough around them, plain and simple. I mean, Chris Paul goes out. Aiton goes out uh, the last game. Paul doesn't play the last three and a half games. But I, after watching, I'm not sure... If Chris Paul plays, I don't know if that makes a difference. Hard to tell. I mean, the Phoenix Suns this season, or the last third of the season, totally went all in on the concept of we're just going to get the absolute best just talent yeah. we can, not even worry about chemistry or you know bench strength sure. or anything else. We'll just pray that these four <laughs> guys can just like carry the entire team. And it kind of worked a little bit for a little while, but then, of course, that concept only works if everybody stays healthy. One of the guys, when the two of the guys go down, even with KD and Booker, I mean, in game six, they didn't have bad games. I mean, well, no, well, Booker had 12 points. <laughs> yeah, not very great because of Denver's like stifling team defense because they figured out they're like they only have these two guys. Right. But even if he would have had 30, it probably it wouldn't have been enough. I agree. They wouldn't they wouldn't have won the game and so th- those two guys just together just playing like raw basketball awesomeness <laughs> is not enough. Two guys isn't enough. And if you think about it like not that they had an easier route, but they did get the gift of the Clippers without Paul George the entire time and without Kawhi Leonard for the last couple of games in the series. They were not tested. They were not tested. And so if you have a full-strength L.A. Clippers team, they actually probably beat the Phoenix Suns. So Phoenix is going to have some work to do in the offseason. For Denver going forward, who? 
they look pretty stout. And I think what they... Jokic, while he may not... He's not going to score 50 every game. It's He's like an automatic triple-double. So you're going to get that no matter what. And they don't... Even though Jamal Murray is... I don't want to say is sort of. He is their second best player, but he can have cold nights. But they have other guys like Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. And even Bruce Brown had a game where he had 25 points, I think game five. They have enough pieces around, and Denver has a variety of guys that could be their second best player in sort of each different game. I was one of those people that said, I don't really know if Denver's got enough. You know, Jokic is good, but enough guys around him, blah, 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 blah. They They have won me over. Well, I think they speak to that, like we were just saying, that the chemistry of the team supersedes that potential on paper, just raw basketball kind of stat machine thing that works sometimes. But the like you said, Jamal Murray can have not his strongest game and there's somebody else there to help. Jokic can get you a triple-double, which is awesome, but even 30... 30 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 assists doesn't win a basketball game. Right. No, yeah, not that alone. So Denver's looking good going forward, and they are going— I think we're set up for an awesome Western Conference Finals. They get to face the L.A. Lakers, and, of course, L.A. finished off the champs. So it's officially—or uh, it's official. Golden State will not be— uh, competing or uh, trying to defend their NBA championship as they go down in the second round. Where we left off before LA was through, or this series was through two games, uh, it was tied 1-1. They go into game three. Um, LA wins. They look they look strong and tough and big. Again, kind of similar to the way they did in game one. LA went on a 30-8 to run to end the second quarter. Draymond Green was in some foul trouble. He got his fifth foul in the third quarter. Um... Warriors missed a lot of shots from a lot of important players, which ended up, unfortunately for them, being a theme for the next few games throughout the series. One of the big issues for the Warriors with this, in this particular series was Clay Thompson just unfortunately not showing up. He had a decent game in Game 2. He scored 30 points, was 8 for 11 from 3. That's great. Um in, but basically, and then didn't do anything for pretty much the rest of the right. series. He didn't score enough points that it just wasn't working. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter who's ever lived. And he proved that in this series. He as absolutely well. he carried them. He he did totally carry them, but without Clay Thompson or somebody else providing um, a lot more offense, just not enough. Yeah. Jordan Poole had 21 points in game one. Games two through six, he had 29 total. Yeah, that's not... Well, he was rattled Yes. after that missed shot, and everybody just dug in on him. He just disappeared. I think he he was actually rattled. That must be the case, because not only was his point total down, his attempts were down. Confidence just through the floor was making just bad, he was like committing bad fouls, you know, putting the Lakers on the line, on the free throw line more than they already needed to be to give them a chance to win. I mean, let, let's give some, so we've we've dogged on Poole, or I shouldn't say dogged on him, we're just telling the story here uh, about Poole and Thompson. Game four, Clay Thompson scores nine points. Game five, Clay Thompson scores 11. Game six, Clay Thompson scores eight points. So for the, you know, the second part of the Splash Brothers to be not, I mean, 
I don't even think below average. I'm sure his average is about probably around the 20 points. So just it's got to be bad. He was bad. He did not play well. Now, it's fair to say though too, it's not you can't just say well the Warriors didn't play very well. The Lakers have been playing outstanding defensive yes. basketball. I mean, Clay Thompson isn't shooting very well because the, the Lakers defense has been stifling. I mean, Anthony Davis is unreal on the defensive end in this series. And so LA makes that, you know, they sort of almost did a complete 180 on their roster halfway through the year. You know, they they get rid of a handful of players. Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly uh, are sort of the most popular uh, uh, subtractions from their team. And they pick up a handful of wing players who can defend. So Vanderbilt, uh, Austin Reeves blossoms. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, his defense is being good enough for sure. You're right, Pat. I mean, it, even though we're dogging on Golden State, they're the defending champ. Why didn't they play better? I think they just outplayed by L.A., and that's okay. It turns out, whether wherever you stand on the greatest player of all time debate, uh, you're not going to put LeBron James below three. Uh, he's a, usually at least one or two in everybody's uh, in everybody's opinion, and he he played like it. Even though he didn't have monster statistical games, you watch him out there, and he is the quarterback of the Los Angeles Lakers, coordinating their defense. So, you know, middle linebacker on defense, quarterback on offense. You know, he can literally do it all, uh, and a lot of fun to watch. And I think anybody listening to this, if you're if you're in your 30s, 40s or 50s, you probably romanticize about Michael Jordan and probably think back like, man, I'd love to watch him again in his prime. People, you should watch LeBron James play because he's not, there's no way he has five years left. And he's probably got two, maybe three, the whole thing with him playing with his son. But he's not going to have five years of this level of basketball. Like, watch LeBron James because it's it's watching history. Well, you, you mentioned watching him in his prime. I don't even know if I'd say that he's in his prime. He's 38 years old. Good point. I mean, however, with that being said, it's, it's a different kind of prime in that I'd say no doubt that in today's NBA, he knows how to win yeah. better. And he plays utterly selfless basketball. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's getting a lot of assists, although he does get a lot of assists. Like if he he just does what if he needs to pass to win, he'll do that. If he needs to score to win, he'll do that. If he needs to play great defense, he will do I mean and for the team. Yeah. Too. He 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 facilitates for the entire team. He had that there was this big highlight where he um I believe it was in game four, he called for a switch. Yes. For like at the, towards the to end of the game. To defend the last possession. To yep. defend the last possession. Like he saw it coming. I mean, it's that like that that's not a stat that shows right. up any on any stat page, but he's so smart. He's played so much basketball. He studies so much. He's so good. Mm-hmm. All of those things. The Lakers go on to win the series four mm-hmm. two. They're gonna meet Denver in the in the Western Conference Finals. As good as Denver is, and this is gonna be a good series. I think the Lakers are going to win. If, now here, here's my key, Anthony Davis yep. is the key. LeBron James is going to play awesome. He's going to facilitate. He will score a ton of points if he needs to. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to, but if he needs to, he will. But if Anthony Davis only scores eight points and gets six rebounds, 
No way. He yeah. does. He doesn't need to score a ton of points. In game six, when they went 101 to 122, he only had 17 points. Now he had 20 rebounds, and his defensive presence is huge. So if he can get you 17 and 20, I don't know if the Lakers and then and kind of handle Jokic to some level. That's going to be his biggest thing. Just keep Jokic like off the glass. If he can keep Jokic from getting all those rebounds, which he definitely can do, I think the Lakers are going to win. Yeah. How L.A. defends Jokic and how Denver responds to that, how Jokic responds to that is going to be the is going to be the, probably the deciding factor. But I think both versions, L.A.'s defense and Denver's coaching staff and Jokic are smart enough. The adjustments are going to be made throughout the series, so it's going to be a ton of fun to watch where – it was clear Denver's bench, Denver's players three through eight were far superior than Phoenix Suns players three through eight. I mean, not even close. This is a way closer battle between players three through eight between Denver and L.A. And and then you could all also say the stars then, you know, Jokic versus LeBron. Even Steven, you know, I mean, Jokic is going to get more stats. It's just kind of how they run their team. He's just going to end up with more stats than LeBron, but that's okay. Anthony Davis is better than Jamal Murray, but sometimes Anthony Davis has had moments where he just, whether it's effort, he just doesn't really demand the ball sometimes. And Jamal Murray has the same problems, but I think, uh, Pat, I think you're right. I think Anthony Davis is the major chess piece in this series. And if he wants to go in and tries to dominate... I think L.A. wins. It'll be an interesting thing if the altitude in Denver becomes a thing. I mean, it is. Some people talk about it a difference. I don't literally pro athletes. <laughs> so they're in some of the best shape, uh, you know, of anybody on the planet. So I have a hard time believing that that's an actual factor. But um, I'm really excited to watch. And I think I could see a scenario where L.A. wins in five. I could certainly see a scenario where either team wins in seven. I could see a scenario when Denver wins in six. If LA's got, you know, if uh, Reeves has a bad game and D'Angelo Russell is cold from the field and they only have LeBron and Anthony Davis, I still think Lakers need a third and fourth guy to show up. They can't just have those two guys do it. I, I completely agree. Um, the nice thing is we were talking about they're deep. And so they have a lot of options on who that potential third or fourth guy could end up being. It's going to be an amazing series. Yeah. The West is shaping up to be great. The East, you know, who knows? I'm, I'm still saying Heat. I'm going Heat yeah. out of the East. Um, the West, I'm saying Lakers. However, I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Nuggets played great and won the series. I mean, they absolutely have the talent to do it. I don't think it would surprise anybody. And, and if it becomes Miami versus L.A., it's a rematch of the bubble COVID championship uh, of the NBA championship that year when uh, L.A. ended up winning. So that'll be an interesting thing. Uh, we're looking forward, of course, to Game 7 of Boston and Philly. Can't wait to chat about it again next time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. 